Listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim and I am the host of this program. If there is one word I can select that represents Christianity and also that is most commonly used, I would say that word is faith. This is because salvation is received not by our works and actions, but by faith alone. I think that is why faith may be the first word Christians may encounter. But because this is so commonly and often used, I think there are many Christians who truly do not deeply meditate and pray about this word faith. Have you ever thought about this before? What do our listeners think faith is? How would you answer this question? We'll come back to share more after our first song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see t'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fear Relieved How precious did That grace appear The hour I first believed My chains are gone I've been set free My God, my Some me and like. 
If someone asks you, "What is faith?" how would you all respond to this question? I think that the most universal answer given by Christians would be this: to realize that I am a sinner, knowing that the root of sin is death, believing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down to die on the cross for my sin, died and rose within three days, and to believe that He will come back. Don't you think that people would say something along these lines to answer the question? What about our listeners? Was the response you thought similar to what I said? If you could express faith in a simple way, you can say that it is Jesus Christ, or that Christ is salvation. That believing in this is faith. There is a very renowned and famous verse that is shared regarding faith, and that is Romans chapter ten, verse nine, which says. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. However, does this complete the definition of faith? There was a reason Jesus came down on this earth, and that reason was for Him to call all sinners and for us to seek His forgiveness. People who hold a simplified view of Jesus claim that His reason for coming was to call all sinners. However, we need to know why he called all sinners, which was to make us repent, which will give us a better understanding of his motive in coming. This is the same for faith. When we think of faith, we commonly think of Jesus Christ, or He died for me, or God is Jesus. People simplify and conclude faith as these things. Of course, these are also very valuable and important views of faith. To believe in Jesus Christ. To believe that he died for me, to believe that Jesus is God, to believe in all these things is of course a very valuable faith. However, faith does not stop here. Faith is one step further from this. To believe in Jesus Christ, to believe in the atonement of the cross, to believe that he is God—these are the most basic and fundamental beliefs of Christianity. However, our faith does not stop here. That is where it starts. Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and to believe that He is God also means that we believe He gives us our salvation. However, we need to expand our faith from this point on. In other words, we need to connect this faith to the belief that all of the words of God came down as flesh, and to believe in all the words of Christ. To believe that Christ is Jesus, and to believe that He is God. But if we cannot believe in His words, how does all of this make sense? It doesn't. There may be some people right now listening to this, thinking, "Who would believe that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, but not believe in His words?" But on a more serious note, are there really people like this out there? Let's start by looking at the first gospel of the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount. 
Do you believe in the words of Jesus that was spoken to us from him on top of the mountain? Do you believe in his words and teachings that told us, whoever is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment? For anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Or do you believe in his words that tell us, for anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart? Anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Do you also believe in these words? Do you truly believe in his teachings that were given to us in Matthew chapter 5-7? through To believe does not mean you agree with it, but to obey to his words. Do all of our listeners truly believe in the words of Christ? strength to rise from the ashes and make a new beginning anyone can feel the ache you think it's more than you can take but you're stronger stronger than you know don't you give up now the sun will soon be shining you gotta face the clouds to find the silver lining. I've seen dreams that move the mountains. Hope that doesn't ever end, even when the sky is falling. I've seen miracles just happen. Silent prayers get answered. Broken hearts. That's what faith can do It doesn't matter what you've heard Impossible is not a word It's just a reason For someone not to try Everybody's scared to death When they decide to take that step
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is how to receive a gift based on Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Francis. But you know, I, I was looking at the Christmas story again this year, and you ever read the Bible sometimes and you read a story that you've probably read like 30 times and you're just going, what? I don't remember this. You know, you ever do that? That kind of happened me, to me with the Christmas story. You know, I was at a party the other day, like a you know, staff party, and, and they had these trivia questions about the birth of Christ and, you know, what the Bible really said. And I was amazed, you know, we're going through them. I'm like, you know, I'm getting all these wrong. It's kind of embarrassing for the pastor, you know. But it's just like, whoa, wait a second. Really? 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 Just because maybe we get used to it or we hear it a certain way or we saw a movie one time. And I think about, uh, I think about even the whole scene, you know, that, that, that kind of floored me this week as I was reading it, was a scene of the shepherds. When the shepherds were in their fields, you know, in the field, and then uh, the angel appears. See, I always pictured in my head, I picture this angel coming down, you know, and just kind of glowing. And then the shepherds kind of gather around the angel, just in awe, going, hi, you know, what, are you, what message do you have, angel? You know, that's just, that's just the way I pictured it. And yet, the Bible describes it completely different. Okay, I want you to look at these verses, you know, in, in Luke 2, 8 and 9, it says, There were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I don't know why I never caught that. Maybe I did, but I just forgot. They were terrified. It's, it's the sudden surprise. I mean, you're, you're doing, it's just another night. You're taking care of your sheep, and then suddenly something appears, and I thought, oh yeah, I would be terrified. I mean, try to imagine, what if right now, tonight you're thinking, okay, you know, it's just another service, another, another uh, you know, Christmas Eve service. What if tonight, as I'm speaking, suddenly right now, an angel appeared hovering right there in the middle of the room? Honestly, try to think what you would feel. Would you gather around and go, Hi, angel. <laughs> Just try to imagine what you would feel right now if a heavenly being appeared right there above us. Try to picture what you would do. Imagine right now. He's there. What would you do? I just can't even imagine how my heart would be pounding and how terrified I would be, and how scared I would be. And, and, and you, you see the angels, and you, I mean the, the shepherds, and they, they react the same way with that angel. And, and you guys, I, I'm making a big point of this because I believe it's a very big point. Because in our culture, when we think of things of God, and we talk about God, or we talk about angels, we, we speak so casually. As though God was just this other person, and if God appeared, we'd go, Hi, God. 
It's me, it's this, it's that. You guys, do you understand every time in this book when someone encounters God, their response is the same as those shepherds. Every time they, they're falling on their face because they just saw God, they're shaking. You know, when someone encountered God, it was not as casual encounter. When they saw the face of God, they were down on their faces. This is John, you know, the beloved disciple, when he saw Jesus as glorified form in, in Revelation, it says he fainted. He fell over like a dead man, it says. See, and, and I think sometimes when we talk about God, we, we treat him so casually, like, oh yeah, God, oh yeah, we're, saving, we're, we're, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. Sing me a song, you know. Oh, come let us adore him. And, and it's like, no, do you understand what the Bible says? When they just saw the angel, they were terrified. The shepherds were terrified. I don't want us to fool ourselves. I don't want any of you to fool yourself into thinking that when you come into the presence of God, which we all will at some point, that you're just going to stand there calmly. The response is always fear. Because you can imagine what an angel would do. Imagine coming before the living God. But I love the next verse, verse 10, what the angel says. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the first thing the angel says, you know, as these shepherds are probably hiding behind their biggest sheep, you know, just, you know, just terrified. I mean, I just try to think, what would I do if I saw something like that? Just shaking, just on the verge of, of fainting. And this angel goes, don't be afraid. I mean, wouldn't you be so grateful if those were his first words? Don't be afraid. Okay, imagine that, because he could have said anything. You know, he could have said, run. You know, he could have said, whatever. You know, he could have said anything he wanted to. And he says, no, 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 don't, don't be scared of me. Don't be afraid of me. Oh, okay. And then he says, I bring you good news of great joy. Think about that phrase for a second. I bring you good news of great joy. I've got such good news for you. Have you ever had someone say that to you? Someone come up to you and say, I've got the best news for you. You know when your friends come up and they got that big grin on their face, you know, your wife, husband, whoever comes up, I got the greatest news for you. You know that anticipation you feel? You just, you're already excited. Well, imagine an angel from God coming down, and you're terrified. He says, oh, don't be scared. I've got the greatest news for you. This is going to bring you the greatest amount of joy you've ever experienced. He goes, today, a Savior's been born. Now, some of you guys hear that, and you go, okay, that doesn't sound that great. You know, I remember as a kid, I, I heard it all my life, you know, as a little kid going to Sunday school, going to like little Christmas, you know, services, and they would talk about the Savior, and I'd go, oh, that's great. But in my mind, I didn't know what a Savior was. And, and I'm willing to bet a lot of you, you hear that term, Savior, and you're like, oh yeah, what is that? Have you ever even thought through the word Savior? 
See, because if I came here tonight and, 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 and suppose, you, you know, you, you come in and I go, hey, I got the best news for you. I came to you as an individual. And I said, I got the greatest news. I got great news for you. And, and I say to you, someone in our church paid off your mortgage. <laughs> no way. You know, like that's an immediate, anyone you go up to and you make a statement like that, they know it's good news. But you go up to the average person on the street and go, guess what? The Savior was born. What are they going to do? It's like, okay, good. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it, we don't think of it as good news because we don't understand the concept of Savior. What is a Savior? Does anyone know what a Savior is? God, good. Someone that saves, perfect. Good, it's someone who saves. But the idea is what He saved us from. See, here's the reason why people don't get excited about a Savior, is they don't recognize their need to be saved. You're in a fire. You know, everything's coming down, you know, and a fireman comes in, you know, with this big fire jacket and hose and starts squirting you, you know. I mean, imagine you're there, you're, the oxygen's going, you're just down to nothing, the smoke, you know, you're inhaling it, the fire's getting closer, and someone comes bursting through the door and just saves you. You know that, that moment of he just saved you from that fire. That's the idea of a savior. You know, you imagine the excitement you would feel, the sense of, oh, I'm out of here. I'm okay. See, that's that picture of the savior. See, but, but we were dying a death that's far worse than a fire. Far worse than being, you know, cornered and, you know, and smoke and everything else. The idea of the Savior is, do you understand that all of us were destined to face God? We were going to face God, not just the angel that we'd be terrified of. We would have to stand before God and we were going to be punished by God. Do you understand that? Every single person in this room Okay, and I know this is going to be so offensive to some of you. But honestly, I'd rather you leave here offended than leave here unaffected. I'd rather you, you really hear what we have to say and what the Bible has to say than you just leave here and go, ooh, cute little program. Okay? Here's the truth. Everyone in here deserves to be punished by God. I don't know how more clearly I can say it. I've done things that are absolutely offensive to God. I've done a lot of things that I'm still sick to my stomach for. So you may walk in this room and go, oh, okay, he's the pastor up there. He's lived a good life. He's... You guys, I haven't lived a good life. Man, you guys want to go around and, and let's start digging up the past and start talking about the things that we did, you know, and then let's just, let's just take turns. You know, let's just go around the room. Let's do something different this service. Let's go around the room. Everyone name the worst thing they've done in their life. You know? You guys, you because we know. We, you know what? Maybe no one else knows in the room, but we know and God knows. And I know I've broken His commands. And the Bible teaches us that that God hates when we break His commands. He hates it. He, and it says that He has to punish. He has to punish. Exodus 34, 7 says He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He has to punish. 
And so there's this thought of, of, you know, being cornered, you know, the fire's coming up, the smoke's around us, it's like, wow, I'm gonna stand before this God, this awesome God, and I gotta, I gotta stand before this judge who knows everything I did in my life, and he's gonna pay. He's gonna make me pay for it. That's fair. That's fair. That's what a fair judge does. But the Bible says, I got good news. A Savior is born. Someone who's going to save you from God Himself. Do you understand what God was saving us from? He was saving us from Himself. So you understand, I'm a holy God, I'm an amazing being, and I have to punish you, but I love you, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you a Savior. I'm going to have this one come, and he's going to be born. He's going to be my very own son. He's going to take on flesh. He's going to become a human being. He's going to empty himself and become like you. And then he's going to die on a cross. He's going to be nailed on a cross. He's going to suffer so that he saves you from suffering. So we can go, no way. So I'm going to come to the end of my life, and I'm not going to be punished. Someone saved me. Yes, that's what the Savior did. And so when this angel tells these shepherds, hey, they go, guess what? I'm going to bring you good news of great joy. You're not going to be punished anymore. A Savior was born tonight. A Savior. And this is for all peoples. This is for everyone. He came to save everyone. Remember, the shepherds were the lowliest. They were the, that was the lowliest occupation. These dirty, you know, what people would call the scum of the earth people. And this angel says, I've got good news for you and for all people. All people. This isn't for a certain class. This isn't for a certain nationality. This is for all people. A Savior has been born to you. You can be forgiven. You can be right before God. You don't have to fear Him anymore. Don't be afraid. And he explains that this baby is going to be born. And, and look at the response of the shepherds in the next verse. It says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host. So a bunch of angels appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So all these angels that are worshiping God, going, yeah, glory to God, and on earth, peace. You can have peace with God now. That's what this is all about. And all these angels are praising God. Suddenly they go back up into heaven, they're out of the sight, and the shepherds start talking. And it says the shepherds say to one another, let's go. Let's go see the Savior that was born. And so it says they hurried off. You ever notice that? They see this thing and they just go, the, the Savior's here. Let's just drop everything and let's go. And they hurry off. And you guys, I, I, I want to point out the scene because I just feel like in our modern world, and especially here, Simi Valley, Southern California, Conejo Valley, we have so many things in our lives that we love and we get so excited about it, and we hold on to them like they're the greatest things in the world. And I honestly don't feel like most of us would hurry off to go see the Savior. 
We'd be like, okay, that, that's fine, but I've got this other stuff to do right now. I'm kind of busy right now. Let me finish this, this, this. And our minds are on all of these different things rather than God. We understand the good news that, that, that we can be forgiven and that I can actually talk to God now. I can have total access and speak to God. And, and, and most people don't look at that as this good news. It's just something we put off because we have this other stuff. But that's not what the shepherds did. The shepherds, they, they saw the opportunity. They ran after it. Things in the world that we hold on to, and once we have them, we won't let go. Because we're finding some sort of pleasure in this thing. We're going, no, 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 no. I want this. Yeah, I want that. I want that. But there's, there's no way. I am not going to let go of this. I want it too badly. And it's almost like Matthew. Well, is there a way I can have this and that? Can I, can I kind of get both somehow? And so many people in our world, they're going, man, I know. Okay, yeah, I'd like to have a Savior. I'd like to have a God. But I'm not willing to let go. I'm not willing to let go of some of these things. And I know I can't have both. And, and you're trying to reach for it, but you're stuck. It's like you're handcuffed by something you think is so valuable and bringing you so much pleasure. See, for some of you, this, this trap may be a, it, it may be an addiction. You know? You know, maybe you're, a, you know, you're holding on and going, oh man, I know this brings me pleasure or whatever it is, you know, and you're going, I want that, but I don't know if I can let go of this. I don't know if that's really better. And you're holding on and you're trapped. Others of you, maybe it's not an addiction. Maybe it's your stuff. Maybe you find so much value in what you do and what you've accomplished and, and, and in the things you own and, and, and purchasing things. And, and you're going, oh man, but I got this stuff. And what if God wants me to give some of it to the poor? What if He wants this or that? And, and, and you're going, man, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to hurry off because I love this thing. For others of you, and the whole idea is we have these things that we're holding on to that we think are so great. And I'm going, are you kidding me? Do you know what's over here? Have you ever stopped and thought about knowing God and how silly everything else seems in comparison to that? Have you ever stopped to think about having the peace of knowing that at the end of my life I'm going to stand before God and I'm totally fine? And how there's nothing on the earth worth sacrificing for that. Man, what, what is better than that? You guys, I, I feel like, you know, that kid that was holding on to that paddle ball and everyone's just going, come on, let go, let go. That's the way I feel as a pastor every week. You know, I see so many people that are holding on to things that they think are so great. I'm going, it's not that great. <laughs> let go. You can know, know God. You can have peace with God. You can embrace the Savior. The Savior came. It's a free gift. You're not spending the rest of your life paying it off, working it off. It's a free gift. Man, and are you going to take it? It's been so cool tonight just seeing, you know, three people already, even on Christmas Eve, just going, plan on coming and becoming a Christian and getting baptized. And, but they said, you know what? I don't care. I'll go home wet. I'll go to my party wet. This is bigger. I'll hurry off. I'll let go of my pride. I'll let go of my plans. You're talking about knowing God. Like Lawrence that, you know, I just baptized, came in from out of town. And, and I was like, well, we, kind of service is over. You want to wait around another half hour? And, and then you got to leave wet. And he goes, I don't care. This is bigger than that. And I go, you're right. You get it. 
And I guess what I'm saying is, man, do you get it? Do you understand the value of knowing God? Because you will be punished if you don't allow Christ to take it for you. And that's the best news on this earth, is that you can leave here totally free. You can leave here no longer cuffed to anything, bound by anything, and receive the greatest gift ever. And that's why we're here, right? I mean, for those of us who know God, we're not here feeling like that, you know, that kid that's repaying the dad and go, oh, but I did this, I did this, I did this. It's like, no, 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 that's not us. We come here just knowing that our Heavenly Father isn't like that. Heavenly Father gave us the gift of His Son. He gave us the gift of forgiveness, and we're here to celebrate that.
Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your device just in a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes store now. Please stay tuned as we are following a program that guides us to know what ethics Christians should hold, titled Christian Ethics. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with Christian Ethics. Last week we talked about the freedom that Christians can enjoy within the truth. We also talked about how we should understand and respect each other in non-essential matters if the essential matters are not affected where the essential matters are doctrine and the non-essential matters are the Christian culture. Yet still, many churches continue to oppose each other and divide over non-essential matters like traditions or customs created by a culture. How should we solve this problem, and based on what? We can gain insight into the Christian perspective by seeing how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees who were locked into traditions and cultures of their time. Jesus pointed out the importance of true inner holiness during his Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus sometimes even ignored the traditional teachings of the Pharisees. The Pharisees at the time had established a complex religious and cultural system that is described as legalism. They incorporated elements of the Jewish culture into the application of Mosaic law. For example, in order to keep the Sabbath even more faithful, they created 234 new rules regarding the Sabbath for everyone to keep. By adding such rules, they turned the day of resting in God, remembering God's work, and praising and celebrating him into a day of bondage as slaves to the law. It was as if they reversed the meaning of the Sabbath that God had given us. Although their efforts were successful in transforming the Jewish culture to a certain extent, it failed to have a positive effect on the hearts of the people. In Matthew 22, Jesus says that loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind and loving our neighbors as ourselves are the two greatest commandments. And he says that all of the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In John 13, 35, he says that the way to distinguish disciples is that they love one another. To sum it up, Jesus says we should love God, love our neighbors, and to love one another. He says this is what is essential. If the saints love God, love people and love one another like Jesus told us, how much will the saints affect the world? Clearly, wouldn't people who have been disappointed, frustrated, and hurt by the world gather to the church that accepts, embraces, heals, and truly loves them? In Matthew 23, verses 3 through 5, Jesus strongly denounced the religious hypocrisy of the Pharisees by saying, So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. What kind of results 
with the methods of the Pharisees, as described in Matthew 23, bring about. First, they pursued outward cleansliness, but as Matthew 23:27 points out, they had inward uncleansliness. And though they imposed standards on others to make them become more like the Pharisees, Matthew 23:15 says that they led the proselytes to be in worse spiritual state than the Pharisees themselves. The Pharisees' ways confused the people, leading them astray and giving them a false sense of security, and people outside of their system were despised and expelled from their religion. Although the Pharisees' way strongly impacts the culture and looks good as it focuses on the outward obedience to the traditional culture, it does not enable true spiritual growth. In fact, the methods of the Pharisees can be worse than not having any methods at all. Although it is easy for people without any method to receive and adapt to new methods, people with a specific method do not want to give up that method. Jesus described the Pharisees' ways as the blind being led by those who are also blind. Methods and standards are necessary in the churches and related organizations, but such methods and standards should never depart from biblical teachings. And these standards should be derived from the two greatest commandments that Jesus talked about, because these two commandments are the basis of the entire moral law. And even if such standards were to be established, it should be clearly recognized that simply keeping them does not make someone holy or worthy of God's will. If the traditions that we keep are non-essential and yet are being forced to be kept, or if those who cannot or do not keep these traditions are condemned, making them feel guilty, that would be wrong. There is one thing that we should remember about tradition. It's that Jesus did not respect the traditions of the Pharisees and that Pharisees were outraged by that. A lot of people today would also be outraged if their traditions aren't respected. But if we were to realize the wrongness of a tradition and yet continue in it, because we were afraid that people might be outraged, we would be in danger of leading new believers astray. People will either mistakenly think that their relationship with God is fine because they are keeping all of the traditional standards, or they would have unnecessary guilt by not following them. And to make matters worse, if we are only focused on tradition, we will not have the opportunity to learn how to love God and our neighbors. If there were people who live like Pharisees, thinking that they are righteous through what they do within our sphere of influence, and we let them be, that would prove that we truly didn't love them. I'm not saying you should abandon tradition. I'm saying that tradition cannot be confused with the biblical moral standards that are of absolute immutability, and we should never feel spiritually superior by keeping such traditions. Jesus Christ did not come to change culture and tradition, but to change our hearts. When our hearts are changed and God's love is being shown to mankind, culture will naturally change. Christians' ethics should be based on the Word of God as the standard. And the two axes of this standard is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. The basis of every decision you make should start from this. As long as these two essential things are fulfilled, Christians can freely make other choices 
and also come to respect other people's choices. I pray that we become saints who hold on to God's values, living in truth, and enjoying our freedom. This is the final session of Christian Ethics. I thank you for listening, and God bless.
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These are the words of Romans chapter 10 verse 9, which are scripture that is given that represents the start of faith and not the completion of it. However, there are so many people who read this verse and think this is the completion of faith. We may be forgetting something very important, and that is when we confess with our lips that Christ is our Lord and Savior. To confess with my own lips that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, that He is my owner, my teacher, my ruler, my King, and my God. We are not only accepting the fact of who He is, but we are agreeing to all of His words and are confessing to live and obey to them. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, and we have been told to turn him the other side, also having faith means to actually follow these words. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, giving them our cloak is what faith truly is. He tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who are being persecuted in his name. Then doing this is what true faith is. True faith is doing to others what you would have them do to you. When he commands to us to enter through the narrow gate, true faith is entering through it. Jesus told us that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. If we can truly believe in these words, then that is true faith. There may be people who think that those are just great ways of expression that Jesus generally would like us to live in, in all goodness, and justify why they don't do this. But justifying this is not what faith is. Jesus specifically tells us, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. These are the passages of Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Do all of our listeners have faith? Do you have the faith of believing in all the words of Jesus Christ? What will be able to prove that faith of yours? That is, if you do not live by and obey to the words of Christ. To confess that I believe in the Christ Almighty and that He is my Lord and Savior also means that I confess to live and obey to His words. This is the only evidence of your faith. I hope that this next week we may truly live out our faith in our lives as we will now wrap up today's program. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure and God bless. I need you to soften my heart and break me apart. I need you to open my eyes and see Just what
you say that you're good.